I'm going to get you to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Christmas, of course, is about the birth of Christ. It's not about Santa Claus. It's not about those type of things. It's not even really about getting gifts. Though I do like gifts. Thank you very much. But it's not about that. Um, it's about the greatest gift that's been given, and that's Jesus Christ and eternal life through him. And uh, each one of us today can have that gift. Gift is not, uh, is not something you work for. It's not something you earn. It's not even something you deserve. So I don't know if you've got uh, presents underneath the tree this morning uh, for your loved ones, but all I suggest is this. If you have a present underneath that tree, let that present be simply because you love that person. Not because they've been good, naughty, nice, but just because you love them. And that's the gift of salvation. But God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's about God's purpose and plan to become a man, to save mankind by dying in place of every man. So Jesus needed to become a man. He needed to be born so that he could die and bleed and pay the price. Many people use the phrase born to die. Born to die upon Calvary. God become flesh. Matthew 1.23 says, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. God with us. The result of this sacrifice would mean that those that were once headed to destruction under the bondage of sin would be released and could experience peace with God. You know, those that were once against God, working against God, at variance with God, now can be at peace with God. In Luke chapter 2, <clears throat> we have this great announcement. I, I preached a part of this passage to the youth on Friday about the shepherds and how the shepherds reacted to the announcement of Christ. But I'm just going to give you the announcement today in verse number 10 to 14. It says, And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you Good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with an angel, the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace goodwill toward men. Once a man has been reconciled to God and you're saved, Christmas means a lot in relation to salvation. But if you're saved here today, it also means something to you. Now, you don't need to be saved anymore. Once you're saved, you're always saved. But now to be reminded of that salvation and to be reminded of the fact that I have a home in heaven no matter what, that the Lord is with me no matter what, that I have a purpose no matter what, and that he loves me no matter what, and I'm going to be with him forever no matter what. 
That hope of salvation should be a present motivator to do right and be right in this world. And I think that's another thing we look at when we see this perfect child being born. I know we're sinners and we all got problems and weaknesses, but in our hearts we should desire in a great way to be right with God. It ought never be an excuse to do what we want to do. I was thinking of the hymn that we had just sung, the Christmas bells, or I heard the bell, the bells. Henry Longfellow, he was an American poet, and he wrote that. It was actually a poem before it was actually set to music a couple of years later. But he was a devout Christian. But dark times came upon his life. He lived during the Civil War in the early 1800s. His wife, who he loved very much, one day, of course, in that time, they'd wear these gowns that were made of mostly cotton, and they were highly flammable. And what happened one day, that gown she wore caught on fire with a candle in the house, and they couldn't put it out. And he tried his best. He tried to smother the flames, and he used his own body to wrap around his wife. And he sustained uh, very bad burns as a result of that. The next morning, she passed away. His burns were so severe that he couldn't attend his wife's funeral. He was left a widower with six children. Now, we all know stories like that, people going through hard things and so forth. His son, Charles, he joined the army, the Union Army, at the age of 17, did it without his father's consent at first. Now, what was going on, Henry had dipped into such a depression and grief that his children began to question whether there was a God. And he himself, you know, that's why the the song, I Heard the Bells, you know, there was a time where he didn't hear the bells anymore. His boy was Severely wounded with a bullet that missed his spine by about one inch. He would have been paralyzed for life, but he survived. That was early December. There was a time where Henry Longfellow was afraid that they would commit him to an asylum because of the depth of his grief. That's how visible it was to people because of everything that happened to him. So when we talk about Christmas... We hear that hymn and so forth that he had written, the poem. We, we associate that, that term, I heard the bells. You know, there was a time, there comes a time in your life where you don't hear the bells no more. You can probably hit such a valley in your life where you say, it just doesn't do anything for me. I just, I doubt. <laughs> but this song was a time where he processed that. He processed his grief and he processed everything that, was going on around him, and he came to a conclusion. I would just like to read this to you. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And thought how as a day had come the belfries of all Christendom 
how rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Tell ringing, singing on its way, the world revolved from night to day, a voice, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then from each black accursed mouth, the cannon thundered in the south, and with a sound the carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill to men. It was as if an earthquake rent the hearthstones of a continent and made forlorn the households born of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. Life is filled with challenges that will sometimes cause you to doubt that all will be well. And that announcement that was made by that angel, peace on earth, goodwill to men. You'll look at that and you say, Lord, I just can't see it. Every year I hear it. Every year they sing it. Every year it's a message that some preacher is preaching. But Lord, I am in a valley and I don't see it. The world seems full of messages of hate and sin. It seems that glad tidings given to mankind aren't real. They don't exist. I couldn't imagine in that day where your own country is torn apart and the north and the south are fighting each other, brother against brother, and, and I just couldn't imagine what that was like. But they went through that. That was a part of the despair that they, they felt. It seems that God in this message of revealing the Son of God now in the flesh is a message consisting of peace and goodwill. He says, this is what I want you to get out of this message. Peace and goodwill. But then my question is, and peace just means wholeness or soundness or health, well-being or prosperity. Peace as opposed to war. Can you imagine why that message didn't ring right to them during the Civil War? So how can I have this peace on earth? How can I have this? If it's not about all the wars stopping, it's not about all these things working out okay and no trials and battles and so forth, then how can I experience this peace? Well, the first thing is, and I don't have a long message, but I just want to give you a couple of things according to what we hear on Christmas, and that is to believe that Jesus will save you from your sins. Believe that Jesus will save you from your sins. It's a very simple thing, but I don't think we give it enough thought. Matthew 1.21, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. What do you need to be saved from? (laughs) What is your problem? What is the issue? What is the world's issue? The world's issue is sin. That's why Jesus came, to deal with sin. And I think the message now has been watered down a lot 
within even Christendom. It's not about sin anymore. In fact, I had one guy tell me, oh, you know, you can go and live like the devil. It doesn't matter. He'll still want to save you. And he wants to save you no matter what. But the thing is, you have to deal with the sin. Sin is what sends people to hell. The Bible says that he created hell for the devil and his angels. But then you see passages where it said, hell hath enlarged itself. And I thought about those passages. I thought, you know, really that's saying God never wanted us to go to hell. He didn't create you to be in hell. But as people will not deal with the sin that separates them from God, hell has to be enlarged. He said, this wasn't my plan. And that's why it enlarges. My plan was just to condemn Lucifer and those angels that rebelled. My plan for you is to send my son. My plan for you is to save you, not to condemn you. It's this complete heart for us. If you've never been saved from the threat of this death or separation from God and hell, I, I just implore you today, receive Christ. If you're here today and you don't know that you're saved, you need to receive Christ. This Jesus that came and died, became a man and was born and then uh, was born and grew up just to die in our place, you need to receive him. You need to receive who he was, who he is, the son of God. The God of heaven came down to earth and let us step on him and kill him so that he'd save your soul. Receive him. As many as received him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. If you'll just trust him in your heart and receive Jesus Christ, the son of God, for what he has done for you on that cross. But the thing is this, you have to acknowledge your sin. Yeah. He died for sin, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 5, 1, it says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody in this room wants to experience peace. You want peace in your heart. You want to know what that message means, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. You know it doesn't, it's not talking about our government. You know it's not talking about the society. But whatever that is, Lord, whatever you are saying there, I want that. Well, he says this is where it starts. It starts by being at peace with me, he says. Peace with God. Your sin puts you against God. That's why you need to receive his son. He'll reconcile. He'll bring you back. He'll take your hand and put it back in the hand of his father. And he'll bring you back to himself. But you have to do it through Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the father except by me. I just encourage you, be saved. Don't wait another day. Yeah. You don't know, the Bible says, you don't know what a day may bring forth. Don't wait another day. Don't put your head down on your pillow one more night without Christ in your heart. Before you put that head down, have Jesus in you. Receive him. And we'll give you an opportunity during the invitation Hebrews 13, 20, it says, Now the God of peace that brought again, the, 
God, that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant. See, he shed his blood for you. Colossians 1.20, and have made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, he shed his blood on the cross to reconcile you. Receive Christ. You know, the, in Israel, they would have some prophets that would stand up and they would like to get the accolades of the people. They wanted people to like them. So their message was always peace. Peace, peace, peace. And the Lord condemned them for that. Yeah. See, the message is peace, but the thing is, you can't have peace without dealing with the enmity, without dealing with the thing that's stealing your peace. And that's why in Micah 3.5 it says, Thus saith the Lord, concerning the prophets that make my people err, that bite with their teeth and cry peace. And he that putteth not into their mouth, they even prepare war against him. Therefore night shall be unto you, that ye shall not have a vision. And it shall be dark unto you, that ye shall not divine. And the sun shall go down over the prophets, and the day shall be dark over them. Then shall the seers be ashamed, and the diviners confounded. Yea, they that shall all cover their lips, for there is no answer of God. But truly, Micah says, I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord, and of judgment, and of might. To declare unto Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. See, folks, in order for you to get saved, you've got to confront your sin. There were some preachers that say, you know what, I'm going to reveal their sin. Other preachers say, don't worry about the sin. Peace, peace, peace. Folks, you don't need a message like that. You need a message that deals with sins. The first announcement made about the Lord Jesus Christ, that he's coming to save his people from their sins. Yeah. Amen. Do you need to be saved from your sins? Are you lost here today and your sins are going to bring you to that place of utter separation from God forever? The Lord doesn't want you to go to hell. He wants you to be saved. And by the way, religion can't save you. Well, I've been baptized. That won't save you. I've been to church. It won't save you. Well, my, my family's Christian. That doesn't save you. Well, I've been confirmed. That doesn't save you. I've been real good. That doesn't save you. The only thing that'll save you is Jesus Christ. Amen. You have to receive him. As many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Amen. Yes. Beware of the message of peace without dealing with sin. That's the repentance we need to look at today. That's where we need to change our heart today. Turn to Christ because what he did on that cross, he took the full weight of your sin upon himself and that's why he suffered so greatly. How could you receive a salvation without acknowledging that before your God? Amen? Christians, your sins can take away your peace too. See, there's peace with God, and if you're born again, you'll have peace with God forever, and that's wonderful. That means you're not at an enmity with Him anymore. But you know, in your sinful body that you have right now, in the mind that you have right now, you still can have sins. There's an example here of a man by the name of Lot in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 6. It's giving us this example. It says, in turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, 
into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly. Then it said, and delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. Now, delivered just Lot. Are you saying that he was the only one that was delivered? Is that what you mean by just? No. The word just means that which is right, that which is conformed to right, pertaining to right. So here you had a man that's been justified before God, and that's why God went in to pull him out of Sodom before he destroyed it. But yet he was fruitless as a Christian because he was vexing his soul daily with the deeds of these wicked people. So Christians, you can be saved and justified living among the wicked and you can be vexing your soul day after day and you say, preacher, where's my peace? Well, you need to deal with your sins. No longer is your relationship in question. He is your father and you are his child. But your fellowship is in question. You're no longer with him. You're no longer talking to him. It's just like your mom and dad. When you sin against them and you have no relation, no fellowship with them, they'll always be your mother and father, but you're not close to them. You have no peace. There's peace with God, talking about your salvation, but then there's the peace of God, which is talking about living in that state of peace close to your father in heaven. Vexed, weary, oppressed, afflicted. How many Christians are oppressed today? Afflicted in their soul. No peace. See, Henry Longfellow was in danger of that. He was in danger of living a life out of fellowship with God because of the deep grief and the things that have happened to them. And you've got to be careful because if you start looking at all these things around you and you allow that to affect your fellowship with God, you, you will lose all the blessings that God wanted you to have in this life. Though you can be saved, he was saved. He was just. I mean, if you would ask me about Lot, I'd say it must be a lost man. <laughs> but the Lord and the Holy Scriptures tell us he was just. He was justified, and that's why he went in to bring them out. It's a picture of how God saves us from judgment. Amen? So believe on Christ. Believe that Jesus died for your sins. Amen? Number two, trust the Lord and look to him every day. You know, there was a man here I want to read to you in Luke chapter 2, verse 25. It says, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace. According to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Simeon, this man spent his days waiting to meet Jesus. You see, 
We need to live in that kind of a trust. He simply says, Lord, my purpose is just to see Jesus. And when he finally saw Jesus that day, he said, Lord, I'm ready to depart now. I'm ready to depart in peace. You know, the reason why so many of us are oppressed and afflicted in our hearts and minds is we're not thinking on Jesus. We're not waiting for him. We don't want to spend time with him. We don't care about what he has done or what he's doing in our lives. We're just thinking about the problems and the situations and what I want and what I'm going to get. And yet we don't have peace. The Bible says in Isaiah 26, 3, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Folks, you want to have peace in your heart, you've got to trust in the Lord every day. Like that Simeon, wake up in the morning and maybe today I'll see Jesus. Maybe today I'll look at him square in the eye. And I bet every day he went over to that temple. Every day he went just to see if maybe Jesus will be there today. And sure enough, one day there he was. I don't know how we figure it out, but he figured it out. When he saw him and locked eyes with that baby, he said, this is the Messiah. This is the salvation of the world. And I can just see this old man going over and grabbing that child, holding him close, giving glory to God. That's the way we ought to be with Jesus, folks. Wake up in the morning and just wait to see him. Amen. You want to have peace in your heart? Get your mind stayed on him. Keep thinking about Christ. Number three, know that God wants to be good to you. So many people think that God is just big bully, just wants to whack you over the head every time you do something wrong. Folks, if he wanted to whack us over the head, there'd be nobody here unwhacked. We would all be taken down by now. How many times did you deserve him to come and take you out? Yet he's allowed you to continue. You know, he desires to show you good. That's why in Luke 2, 14, it says, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Goodwill means favor, and good pleasure, and good intent, benevolence, and a gracious purpose he has for us. He says, this is what I have for you. It's not destruction and, and hurt, but I have a gracious purpose for you. And maybe it is we don't have peace in our heart today because we don't understand that God just wants to do good to us. Every day, that's his purpose for you right now. He wants to do good for you. Now, sometimes, <clears throat> like any good father, he'll have to chastise you. And you know why he does that? Because he wants good for you. How many times have you disciplined your kids because you want to see better from them than the way they are? Amen. We know Romans 8.28 says, We know that all things work together for good. To them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. See, that's great, preacher, but that can't mean those really bad people out there. It means everybody. Those who will receive it, he will do it. <laughs> Look at Israel. Israel worshipped idols and did wickedly before God after he gave them explicit instruction not to do that. But the Lord still worked out his gracious plan. Folks, think about this. They were idol worshipers. He had to chastise them. He took them out of Jerusalem, brought them over to Babylon. 
70 years, he put them under the leadership of heathen kings. Just so at the end of that, he can say, hey, let's bring you back. You know what I don't get today? People are saying that Israel is done. (laughs) I'm going to tell you something. What you're really doing is you're not attacking Israel because they should have been done a long time ago. You're attacking the God that gave them the gracious purpose. He's not done. He's not done with Israel. Jeremiah 29, verse 10, it says, For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. You talk about a people that deserved a good whooping and destruction. He says, you know what? I've got a good plan for you people. Folks, if you want to have peace in your heart today, you've got to remember that God has got a great purpose for your life. Don't throw it away. For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. Just love them. If you love him, he'll enact this plan in your life where all the things in your life will turn out to be good. You don't understand all the bad stuff I've done, and the Lord will make it good. How can he make the bad things I've done good? Because he's going to use that for his honor and glory. But you don't know what's happened to me, preacher. He says he'll turn it into good. I tell people it's like a machine that, that, that has all these gears in it. They're all intertwined. And all those gears are things in your life. And the Bible says that all things work together like a machine for good. And all those gears, no matter, even if you put a gear in there, and he didn't want that gear in there, but you put it in there anyways, that's still a thing. All things. Well, I really messed it up. Well, that's a thing. The only thing that can stop this machine from turning, because when God, he works it together. He's got his hand on the crank. He's the one turning the machine. The only thing that can stop the gear from turning is if I put something in the gear to stop it from turning. Like bitterness. Like sin. Your bitterness and sin will stop the gear from turning. And God's just saying, (laughs) I got this plan for you, but you're not being obedient. What do you mean, Lord? You should forgive that person. He says, all things will work together if you love me. Well, I do love you. If you're bitter towards that person, you don't love me. Because if you love me, you'd keep my commandments. And I told you to forgive. And you're not forgiving. That means you don't love me. We get so seduced by our bitterness towards others, we don't realize we're actually disobeying God. And we're stopping the machine from turning in our life. But the Bible says if you will love him and obey him, that machine, he'll just keep cranking that gear. And it doesn't matter what thing you have, what has happened, where you came from, who your parents were, what happened to you, those things you don't even tell people about, all kinds of things. You say, I'm being too embarrassed to even discuss this with anybody. God knows it's a thing. And he'll work it together for good. That's how you go on in peace, folks.
Because many times people don't go on in peace because they think somehow I'm disqualified from having a good life because I'm so bad, I've done these things. No. The only reason you'd be disqualified is because you don't love God. You don't love Him. If you love Him, you'd obey Him. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Well, I can give thanks for a lot of things, preacher, but that thing over there, no way. Your gear is seized. But that happened 30 years ago, and your gear is seized. One gear seizes all the gears because they're all interconnected. So I don't care if it happened 20 years ago, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, wherever that thing is, you've got to make a turn. Make a turn. What happened so long ago? Isn't there a statue of limitations? On? No. The Bible says that a day to the Lord is like a thousand years. And a thousand years a day. I haven't even been alive, you know, a part of the morning yet. So no, there's no statute of limitations. Look back at your life. Can you give them thanks in everything? In everything. Not for everything. You don't have to thank them for sin and for things that happen to you, but you can give thanks in it. Now if you can't, your gear is, is seized. You're out of the will of God. Amen? Trust the Lord every day. Let Christ give peace within you when there is no peace around you. Now, in the New Testament, Jesus illustrated this by bringing peace outside of them. Remember when they were on the boat? The storm was going crazy. <laughs> Their hearts were going crazy too. Jesus stood up and said, peace be still, bam, like that. All the wind and the waves obeyed him. Everything went silent and still as glass. That's how quickly creation answers the Creator. But they were still fearing. See, they still hadn't let that power in to their hearts. So now the Bible says this to you. He says, I'm going to give you the ability to have peace in your heart while there's a storm going on around you. That's the peace that he says he gives. The Bible says, Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let means that it's your responsibility. That means it's not just going to hit you by accident. <laughs> if you're going to have peace in your heart, it has to be let by you. You have to allow it to take place. John 16.33 says, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So he's saying, in the world, you say, it looks like a storm out there. He says, don't worry about it, I've got it under control. Yeah. But I've come to bring you peace. I want you to have peace. That's why many times our prayer life is, oh Lord, just fix this thing and fix this job problem and fix this church problem and fix this and fix that and, and very little of it is, 
Lord, give me peace in my heart. Give me grace to be able to go through this. Help me to endure the trials of my life. Help me, Lord, to show forth your grace as I'm going through this storm of life. Instead, we pray, Lord, take away the storm. Take away the storm. He says, no. I'm leaving you in the storm. I want to give you peace. Let me do it. Let me do it. John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. I don't know if the Lord is sitting up there laughing a lot. When our politicians say, yeah, we're going to go over there, and we're going to come up with this peace accord. And you can just trust us, vote for me, because we're going to bring peace to the Middle East. He must just laugh. He must really just laugh. And the worst thing is people are hanging on their words. Oh, yeah, go give them peace. <laughs> Folks, they're not going to bring them peace. There's not one man on this earth that's going to go bring peace to these people because there's a problem not with the circumstances. There's a problem with the heart. And no politician can bring peace in their hearts. Jesus Christ has to come. He has to deal with their heart. Folks, oh, we need politicians today that lift up the Lord Jesus Christ, that, that give that answer to mankind, even as a good leader among men, encouraging people to follow the Bible, encouraging people to go to church, encouraging people to sing songs of faith. Like some men do that, but so little of them. So little of them. Instead, they take it upon themselves and they say, hey, and they're so used to failing that they don't even realize that they're lying anymore. They know they're not going to succeed. We're going to send all these millions of dollars and we're going to give them all the weapons they need because they're going to win this battle. Nobody's winning any battle. No battle will be won on this earth. Except when Jesus Christ comes. Henry Longfellow lived several years without peace because of the loss of his beloved wife. A terrible war during his day. He had thoughts that there was no peace on earth because of all that was happening in his life. He ultimately allowed God's peace to return to his heart. He let it. That one Christmas morning when the bells rang, he finally heard them again. You know, my question is to you today, do you hear those bells? Do you hear those same bells that Henry Longfellow finally heard after his great bout of depression and grief, probably even anger? Or are you saying, ah, there's no peace and goodwill toward men? No, my friend, there is. <laughs> And the final thing that we need to understand is this, that you need to anticipate that Jesus Christ will bring peace to the earth when he comes again. Oh, I love telling people that. It blows them away. Because they, 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 they don't expect Christians to take their faith that far. They, they expect you to say, oh, it's going to be okay. Just trust God. But for you to say, can I tell you something? You know that Jesus Christ that came and died for you? He's up in heaven right now praying for you. That's what he's doing right now. 
but he's coming back again. He's coming back again. <laughs> and you know what? He's going to straighten all this mess out. So you don't worry about this government or that government or what they're doing over there or over there. You don't worry about all the laws they're trying to put into place and all the wicked shops and stores and the things that they're doing today and all the products that they're trying to push, the alternate lifestyle and all these things that are going on. It, it just steals away your hope. But when you realize that when Jesus Christ comes again, he's going to walk around with a clothes sign and put it on all these shops and they will never open up again. All the liquor stores shut down. All the pornography shops shut down. All the bars, all the strip clubs. Anything that's against the word of God, he will rule, the Bible says, in righteousness and he'll bring peace back to our earth. This earth. I realize there's going to come a day where this earth, the Bible says, will melt with a fervent heat and He'll create a new heaven and a new earth. And that's going to be just wonderful. It's even to be greater than this. But you know, a thousand years before that, Jesus is going to come back to this cursed globe and He's going to show you how He can bring peace to a cursed people. And for a thousand years, He's going to rule on this dirt. Think about that. On this dirt, he's going to have his throne set up in his temple. Not in the palace. His throne's going to be in the temple because it's a place of worship. And, he, and we as the church and those that love him and, and suffer for him and allow him to use us in spite of all the pressures and trials of life, he says, I will allow you to rule and reign with me. That means you just may be the mayor of Airdrie or the mayor of Calgary. I say, if the Lord doesn't level these places. But all I tell you is this, this land will be here while Jesus Christ sits on that throne. I just want this to be real to you here. And you sitting there God's going to say, i got a place for you here. i got a job for you to do as we work out this kingdom of righteousness on this earth. And he will rule. The Bible says in Isaiah 9, verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. He's coming again. He's going to clean up this mess. See, folks, believe in Christ. Get peace with God. Trust him every day. Keep your eyes on him. Because if you keep your mind stayed on him, he'll give you perfect peace, he says. Let him, let him give you perfect peace in your heart, in spite of what's going on around you. Don't ever allow your external circumstances to dictate whether you're at peace. Because he wants you to have peace in the storm.
Amen? And then remember, he's coming back again, and he's going to set up his kingdom, and it'll be a kingdom of peace. All this wickedness is over. All of it. Open your eyes and look at this world. They think they got the tiger by the tail. No, sir. The Lion of Judah is coming. And he's going to take care of it all. Amen. Let's bow our heads. So I want to give you an invitation here, mostly, firstly, to those that may be here without Christ. I want you to understand something. That religion is not going to guarantee a home in heaven. Just being a good person is not going to get you a home in heaven. Jesus Christ had to come and die for your sins. You have to acknowledge that. You have to acknowledge that your sins put him on the cross. You have to acknowledge that your sins are bad enough that you would be separated from God forever because of your sin. Not just the things you do, but what you are. Your very soul. But Jesus says, I love you. And I've come to die for you. I want to take that death, that separation that you're experiencing, and I want to take it upon myself. And I want to give you life so you can be with us forever. If you're here this morning and you, you know in your soul, say, preacher, I don't believe I'm saved. I'm not born again. And I know that in my heart, the Lord is pulling on me and, and drawing me to himself. And I would just simply like to make, get that settled this morning. I would like to make sure that I'm saved. And if there's one like that here, folks, and I know it's hard to do sometimes, raise a hand and express that faith. I'm the only one looking. My, everybody's heads are bowed. Everybody's eyes are closed. But you say, preacher, that's me. I'm at, I'm at turmoil in my soul about my salvation. I don't know if I'd die today, if I'd end up in heaven or hell. Or maybe you know that you wouldn't be in heaven. And you'd say, preacher, that's me. Could you pray for me? Could you help me? I need to know how to be saved. I would like to receive Jesus today. And if that's you, just slip up your hand real quick so I can see it and put it back down. I see your hand, little man. I see your hand. God bless you. I see your hand, son. I see your hand. A lot of children. Children want to be saved. Parents, please tell your children the gospel. Tell them how to be saved, please. They, they'll get saved. As soon as they understand, they'll get saved. The gospel was made for them. Are you here today? It's a preacher. I'm not settled about my salvation, but I'd like to get it settled. Just put your hand up and put it back down. I'm the only one looking. Make sure I see your hand. Christian, do you hear the bells? Is your heart filled with hope this morning, thinking about the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done? Are you in turmoil? Are you oppressed? Can I encourage you to get your heart back to Christ? Let his peace rule in your heart. 
If there's some sin in your life, could you please confess that to Jesus Christ and say, Lord, I've been going against you and I'm just so tired of not fellowshipping with you. I'm going to deal with this sin today, Lord. I'm going to confess and forsake it. Maybe there's some other discouragement. Maybe some part of your past you say, I can never get over that. Maybe today you just have to get over it by allowing the Lord to have it in his hands. He didn't allow you to go through it to destroy you. All things work together for good to them that love him. Would you love him today enough to trust him with all of your trials and all of your circumstances and everything you've gone through? Say, Lord, I know that you're going to use my life as bad as it was to glorify your